Hi everyone, welcome back to the Stay Hungry podcast. Today we've got a special guest talking mindset for leaders, John Pierre de Villiers. Here he is, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Joel. Pleasure to be here. Love the intro music, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah, we, we try our best. We try. You got, got me all pumped up in about 10 seconds. A, a few people say it sounds a bit like The Greatest Showman, and that, that cuts deep, but <laughs> 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 never mind. It cuts deep in a good way or a bad <laughs> well, way? Well, <laughs> I wasn't going for, like, um, ringleader of a circus <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I thought about it, so... Yeah, never mind. So, uh, for the uninitiated, would you mind just giving us a little bit of background on you? Yeah, so, you know, it's always a challenge for me to share my intro because my life story and journey has been so, so long Mm -hmm. and, you know, so many pivotal moments in my story. But as always, I try my best to, to keep it as short as possible. So, uh, right now, I'm a global citizen. I've chosen to be that way, living in my values. You know, when we are out of alignment with actually what brings us most joy, when it comes to life and in leadership in business, we end up suffering. And actually, we can even lose our passion for the things that we love to do, sure, because it just doesn't feel good and we don't feel fulfilled. So for me, I love freedom. I love travel. I don't like being in one place. So mostly I'm living between UK, Dubai, and Thailand right now. And then I still like to travel Mexico, South Africa, where I'm from. And I grew up in Cape Town, South Africa. Didn't, life, didn't like the life that was presented to me. And because I had so much lack growing up, I knew that I'm not good at a lot of things, but what I know I'm really good at, and I I try to say this with humility always, is I have an incredible sense of awareness and I'm really good at reflecting. And I knew at 10 years old that I could either accept my life for what it was or I could make it different. And at 10 years old, I got a job wearing a cute, my mom was working in a job. She wasn't really around and she was working seven days a week in a pub and I just went to a local garage and just started washing windows to the cars. And the, the people there looked after me like the, 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 the petrol attendants. And I started making tips. And then 11 years old, I started doing a paper route. 12 years old, I started washing cars. By 13, I was pushing trolleys outside supermarkets and just saying, can I push a trolley to your car, Take, put your bags in your boots and like ask for a tip. Uh, and then from later in 13 to 18, I worked every single weekend until I left school. And I've never, ever stopped working. But uh, because I had taken charge of my life, so to speak, from such an early age, when I left school, I looked around me in my environment and I was like, there's no one really doing something massive in Cape Town, like on a global scale. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like I really wanted to make as big of an impact as possible, especially because I had experienced what I had experienced growing up. I was like, I don't want that for other people. How can I make a difference? So when I was 20 years old, thanks to an ancestral visa, my grandfather being English, I moved to the UK at 20. And because I had no mentorship, I had no guidance for the first 20 years of my life, no one telling me like, what is your goals? I just went with what I knew and I followed the crowd. And by 23 years old, I ended up working in bars and clubs and then DJing and 
and at 23 years old, I realized that I'd hit, I hit rock bottom. And I was just like, how did I get here? You see, I was, to go back to what I said before about you know, in leadership, but not being happy, I was successful. I came from nothing. I was 23 years old, South African boy in London, now going into Europe for DJ gigs, being paid flights, picked up by a driver, staying in hotels for the first time in my life. And I'm in Riga, Latvia, DJing on New Year's Eve, staying at the Radisson, DJing at a club called Nautilus, two and a half thousand people. I'm like, I'm successful, quote unquote. But I'm like, why do I feel so bloody miserable? And long story short, I couldn't have told this many years ago, but in hindsight, I can say it's because I wasn't in alignment with what mattered to me. And what mattered, what mattered to me and what always mattered to me, like I just shared, was having a life of impact, of influence, being an inspiration, even if it's just to my family. And I was not inspiring. I was drinking, smoking, and doing coke most days of the week. And I get not all DJs do that. And I couldn't move beyond that point because I tried to write music but I couldn't do it. I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed the DJ side, but it was toxic for me. So I just, once again, with the awareness that I have, I was like, I got myself here in three years in the UK, decision by decision. But the decisions that I've taken have been the wrong decisions. So I'm going to go back to the UK. I'm going to start again. And this has been a pattern of my life, starting over, starting over, starting over. When I realize I've gone down the wrong path for too long. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to figure out how to get my life right. Uh, And between 23 and 25, I became my first ever coaching client. I read books. I went to Tony Robbins events. There probably wasn't podcasts, but I listened to like audio recordings or whatever. I changed my environment. I changed my habits. I changed my mindset, my friends, my rituals. Uh, And at 25 years old, I just felt unstoppable. I was healthy, fit, confident, certain, energized, passionate about personal growth because I'd consumed so much that I was like, man, if more people knew this stuff about standards, about belief, about how to extinguish limiting beliefs, how to change your life one day at a time by building non-negotiable rituals, I was like, man, a lot of people could thrive and not suffer like I was suffering and not suffer like my father suffered for most of his life until I was 13 years old, when the suffering for him became so bad that he decided to take his own life. And I thought, you know what? One, I love learning why we do what we do, how we can tap into our full potential, how we can thrive under pressure and stress, and how we can sustain performing at our best. I was 25 years old. I'm almost 41. I've not done anything since I've read nine books, spoken in 20 countries. I've worked with some of the most amazing people, shared stages with other great speakers. And if it's not clear, I love what I do. <laughs> yeah. So something you've touched on there, which particularly business owners would, would really struggle with, but I think is, is really important, is, is starting again. How, how did you get, and I know you've had to start again since as well, so we'll, we'll come on to that, but how did you get comfortable with starting again? So interestingly, and this is a shameless plug, my latest book that's just been released on Amazon a few days ago is Mm -hmm. called Self-Confidence. And I wrote this book for leaders in business. A lot of my books have been inspirational, storytelling, motivational, et cetera. 
But this book is about the actual science behind the skills that I've used to increase my mental performance. Yeah. And the reason why it's called self-confidence is because if we are to go after what we really want, including being willing to let go of what we thought we wanted, even closing a business, leaving a relationship, whatever, mm. you need self-confidence. And I did not have self-confidence growing up, which is why I'm so passionate about sharing psychological skills and tools and, and ways for you to increase your self-confidence because I know it is a learnable skill and it's easily teachable. It still requires everyone to do the work. But when you have self-confidence, I have asked this question for 10 years of speaking doesn't matter what size of the audience. I've asked this question many times. If I injected you with bulletproof, unshakable, unbreakable confidence, what would you go do next? And the answer has always been the same. I would go do anything or everything. So what stops us from going after what we really want? It's sure. confidence. Believing in ourselves that we can actually make it happen, or even that if it does happen, so if it doesn't happen and we fail, it's okay. Still feeling confident to go after it, even though you know you might fail. And that's what people lack, in my, in my opinion, sure. is they don't have the confidence. And you can call that certainty. You can call that energy. You can call that obsession. But when you have self-confidence, Certainty, energy, obsession, CEO, puts you in a position of being the CEO, not of your business, but of your life. Mm -hmm. You take control of your life when you have certainty, energy, and obsession. You don't settle. You keep moving, even if it means having to reinvent, you, reinvent yourself over and over and over again. The fact that most people think, oh, you should stick to something and keep sticking to it. That's most people's opinion. But what we don't look at is the people that truly achieve amazing things in the world. As Steve Jobs says, here's to the crazy ones. People that achieve or most people that say you should just stick to what you do and be happy with your job or whatever. That's most people. And studying performance psychology, there was a study done in the US where hundreds of people were asked about their happiness in their profession. And 78% of people, this is a crazy statistic, 78% of people don't like what they do for a living. So if most people are saying, oh, just stick it out, stick to your job, whatever, and you do the same, there's a high probability that you're going to end up like one of those 78% of people. Mm. A fifth of people actually enjoy what they do. Why? Because I believe they're just not doing what they really want. Why? I say this respectfully, because they're fucking scared. Mm -hmm. They're scared if they fail. They're scared if they get judged. They're scared if you know, it doesn't work out and they lose everything. But you know, something I remind myself of all the time and my clients too is you're going to die anyway. <laughs> you're not going to be here forever. You're going to die. You can't guarantee when you're going to die. So stop living your life in such a safe way that you get to the end of your life only realizing that you've never really lived because you're not being courageous enough to go after what you want. So in short, that's why people aren't willing to reinvent themselves because they don't have the confidence to do so. And through my events, courses, coaching, retreats, etc., I've seen people leave relationships 
quit jobs whilst they're on a retreat with me. They've handed in their res- resignation just because they realize I've always wanted to start a business. And it's not because of me. It's because of what I put them in, the environment to build your own self-confidence through fitness, through coaching, through mindset work, teaching them about habits, teaching them about how to perceive stresses in a different way, teaching them how to optimize their certainty, energy, or obsession every day. Because when you're fired up energetically, you think differently, right? There's certain environments that you can go into where you have what I call stinking thinking. And there's certain environments where you go into where you just, you, you only think as God would think which is abundantly. God doesn't, I'm not religious, but I mean God in the universe, the potential, the divine, whatever uh, your beliefs are for the person listening. But the universe doesn't speak in lack. And when we can tap into the idea that the universe doesn't speak in lack, there is no lack that exists. There is no scarcity that exists. Everything is in motion. Everything's growing and dying. There's a law of impermanence. Things are perishing. Things are being born. So just get with the program and just understand, hey, I'm just a temporary vessel, at least in this physical uh, existence, right? Sure. Once again, depending on what people's beliefs are, being reborn or whatever, reincarnated. But in this physical existence, every day you wake up, you have one less day, one sure. less day, one less day. So I just think, you know what? Either live a life that most people want to live at the risk of being four fifths of the people that don't like what they do, or take a fucking chance and just do what you want. I, I apologize. I didn't even ask you before if it's okay to swear. Oh, it's all good. It's yeah. all good. Okay. When it, when, it, when it, I'm passionate, it just comes out. That's all cool. So we've had relatively parallel lives, actually, to, to a weird extent, where a uh, very similar thing happened to me at 13, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Do you want to share? So my, my father tried to take his own life when I was 13. He failed. Wow. He failed. He's, a, he's now in prison, and he tried to take his own life two weeks ago. So... Uh, so I, so I, I do relate. I did my first uh, I did my first prison visit on Saturday, and that is that is an experience. Um, but what I was well, going to ask... hats off to you, man. That's got to hurt, surely. Yeah, it's it's tough, but I'm working hard to take lessons from it. Uh, hmm. That's that's where I am with it at the moment. But what what I was going to ask when you're ten years old and and you're in essentially poverty and a difficult situation and and, and I was in a, a similar place what lit that spark that made you realize there was more to life what how, how did that happen because that doesn't happen for most people this is a really good question I've never been asked this in my entire career I try it was it was my environment and you know it's crazy that you've asked me this question because once again, I've never thought about this. Never, I've never asked and therefore I've never, never thought about it. But what sparked the change in me, what was the catalyst for me changing was, you know, at that point, I don't like to say poverty because it almost feels like I'm being disrespectful to like the 80% of South African sure, people that yeah, have nothing. I understand. But I'd be lying if I said we weren't poor. You know, some nights we were having porridge for dinner. My mom was whenever she was free was making the most horrible tasting cheap you know one pound block of chocolate into like costed um 
whatever um, animals and stuff and yeah. was going door to door selling chocolates in her spare time just to put food on on the table i was wearing my cousin's hand-me-downs my younger brother was wearing my hand-me-downs so we were poor but for the grace or by the grace of god whatever uh, the reason is that i found this or it found me when i was seven i found fitness and fitness made me feel incredible mm-hmm. you know and i don't need to go into this everyone knows <laughs> I'm going to say most people because someone's going to say, oh, I don't feel that way with fitness. But most people, when you do a workout, maybe a workout that you love, jujitsu, boxing, whatever, sex, that's still fitness. When you do physical activity, it makes you feel amazing. And when you do that and you feel amazing, you think differently. So because I didn't have any way to feel good growing up, I didn't really feel good at all. When I found sport, my first ever sport was judo. Oh, me too. Then How karate. weird. <laughs> That's really weird. And your name obviously starts with a J, so does mine. And um, yeah, that's kind of cool. And I fell in love with that feeling. Now, I changed sports quite a lot of time because, you know, for people that have tried sport when you're young, you know, you can always go to one or two or three classes of something. And then they always say, okay, now you've got to pay the membership fee. You need all the kit. And I could never afford it. Mm -hmm. I could never, I wanted to do karate. I wanted to do judo. Couldn't do it because we couldn't afford the gi and the, and the, the, all all the stuff that you need basically. And it just made me feel amazing. So I kept switching from sport to sport. And what this did was it really inspired my thinking to want to go out and achieve because that's what, sport is about right it's about improving yourself it doesn't matter what sport you're in bodybuilding tennis who plays a sport and says i don't want to get better today yeah i mean you're a fool you're a fool if you go to the gym or you do any kind of sport golf whatever and you think i don't want to improve today so because this became my obsession when i was a kid what was i doing every day working on improving myself Every day. And it went from uh, uh, something that was at the surface of my life to something that was just a part of my being. Mm -hmm. This is what I did. I found ways to challenge myself, surfing, roller hockey, anything that I could find that felt like a challenge for me. And I found ways to improve. And actually, coaching itself originates from sport. It didn't exist in business. Sure, yeah. And it came from sports to help people improve themselves. So like coaching was taken from sports and put into business, I took myself from improving in sports to saying, hey, why don't I try and apply the same thing to my life and try and do things every day that challenge me and allow me to improve myself? So, you know, it was the paper round. It was, you know, even at 12 years old, you know, it takes confidence to go stand in the bloody parking lot, knowing you're going to be judged and just stand there for three, four hours in the sun and having the courage to go up to someone and say, can I push your trolley? Yeah. Like that takes courage. But then you do it again, 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 it becomes super easy. And then you think, oh, okay, I've done this. I'm earning this amount of money. I wonder if there's a way that I can make this even better. So I went and looked around and I found a job in a, a fruit and vegetable market. 
And for three years, I sat at the end of the middle aisle till packing people's bags every Saturday, every Sunday. Obviously, I got breaks as well. But so, yeah, such a great question, man. And what, in short, what was the catalyst? What was the spark for me? It was my environment. I put myself in an environment of constant, never-ending improvement. And that became a part of my DNA. And actually now in hindsight, looking back, that's always been at the center of my being. I cannot settle because since seven years old, I've been working on improving myself all the time. And I just love it. I love to make progress. I mean, essentially, that's what life's about. Whether you look at uh, Tony Robbins' model or Abraham Maslow's model of hierarchy of needs, or whether you look at Joseph Campbell, uh, Joseph Campbell's um, uh, hero's journey, it's all about the journey. And the journey is all about progress. How can I make progress towards my goals, my vision, my mission, my purpose, making the difference, whatever it is for you, even if that's all contained within your relationship or your family? Yeah, understood. So when you're uh, talking to one of your clients and they're very destination focused rather than journey focused, how, how does that go? Well, simply put, I feel like I'm talking too much here, but uh, simply put, it's just really helping them understand that. And I've learned a lot of this from monks because I'm a student in many different areas Mm -hmm. that as long as we put our happiness in front of us, what we're doing is we're building a program like you build or you have software programs running your laptop, your iPhone, your iPad, your GPS, your car, et cetera. We're creating a software to run a program that dictates that our happiness must always be in front of us. Mm -hmm. So every single time you say, I'll be happy when I'll be happy when I'll be happy when you never get there because the program doesn't see the thing. It just sees it's ahead of me. It's ahead of me. It's ahead of me. It's ahead of me. And here's an example. About a year ago, I had a client come to me. Through another client of mine that previously worked with me, he was friends with this person. He was going through some suffering, very unhappy. 60 million pound fund, a lot of money, lives in a castle, drives an Aston Martin, miserable as shit. Long story short, I just took this model and I had conversations over three months to help him realize that As long as you keep looking forward for your happiness and fulfillment, you're never going to achieve it. And how much more do you need so-and-so? Now I'm talking to him. You got this, you got this, you got this, you got this, you got this. You don't take enough time to even reflect on who you've already become. So put in a lot of mindfulness practices of meditation. And, you know, I'm getting someone that is paying me a lot of money. They've got a lot of money. They've got a lot of success. And I'm saying to them, I want you to write a gratitude list every day. Mm-hmm. Other stuff, but that's how simple it was. Within a month, this person was like, I feel different. And sharing things like, you know, I got my car. I want to share something with you, JP, after the work that we've done together. I, all my career, I wanted this car. I got the car. The next day after having the car, it was just a car. Mm. And just after working with you now, I've realized is that now I go and I sit in my car, I look around, I smell the car, I feel the car, and I feel grateful. 
And actually what happened was at the end of our coaching journey, because I do three-month and 12-month programs, and he just needed a three-month happiness course <laughs> right, in a private and confidential space with me. And at the end, he just said, I'm not a monk, but I am where I want to be in my life. I'm happy. Yeah, that's huge. So, And the big difference was, sorry, just to, to end off, was I got him to stop focusing on the future. That, and I got him to focus more on the present. And everything to him became better. Everything to him became more alive. His relationships improved. His communication with his business partners improved. And his general happiness improved. Yeah, huge. So nearly every business owner that I speak to spends a lot of time thinking about the future. Maybe in terms of happiness, but it might be in terms of KPIs, goals, which yeah, of course. inevitably they relate to their own happiness because if they don't achieve them, they've in their eyes failed. How do you help people pull themselves away from that and see the present day? So there's two things. How I define happiness. One, it's being incredibly or extraordinarily happy with where you're heading. So that is, the work that I do with them is know your vision, know your mission, know your purpose, know your values, know your goals. When you have those, you have clarity. And to quote Tony Robbins, clarity is power. And that makes you empowered because you know where you're heading and you know where you're becoming. But here's the second part. To be as happy or more with where you are right now. And that's completely different work. Not vision, values, mission. That is values, but I'll come back to that in a minute. It's not future-based stuff. It's how can I be happy today? Even if I don't achieve any of that, how can I be happy today? And that is living a life that is true to your values and not putting it off at the expense of something like your happiness or your performance or your inner peace because you're oh, one day, one day, one day, one day. So in short, the practices for being present in the moment is identify your values. What is important to you? Is it freedom? Is it compassion? Is it contribution? Is it family? Is it silence, solitude? Is it nature, adventure, fitness, knowledge, growth? What is it? Figure that out. And create a life today that you can tick those values. Another thing I've learned from monks, I'm just simplifying it, is if there is a gap between what is most important to us, i.e. values, and our current reality, as long as there is a gap, there will always be suffering in our life because we feel like we're not where we want to be. But we can create a life where actually we are in alignment with our values. And every day we say, I've expressed some of my freedom value today. I took some time out for myself. I have honored my family value today. I kissed all of my kids and my wife goodbye, or I told them I loved them when I came. The intention behind it. It's mm -hmm. not the time that you put into it. It's the intention and the attention. I, I value fitness I went for a non-negotiable run this morning, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how you find happiness in short. And I have a mastermind called Live 100, which is just about 
putting people in an environment where they understand what they value and create a life that's in alignment and in the center of those values. Because the happiness is always going to be a result of how well or how well or how not well we live in our values. I don't even know if that's correct English, but sometimes I don't spoke very good England because <laughs> um, I'm not from England. <laughs> And um, actually, my first language is Afrikaans. Well, I grew up Afrikaans anyway, which is similar to Dutch. So number one, happiness in the present moment, right? We spoke about happiness in the future, which is one half of happiness is figuring out where I'm heading, who I'm becoming, what's the mission for my life and my business and my relationship, because that should be treated like a business too. Otherwise, it will break down. But present happiness, know what you value, live in those values or do your best and get support to be able to do that. And create a life that is in alignment with what you love, not what other people expect of you. And then there's the practices every day for happiness, like something that I call the Ten Commandments. For me to be in alignment with my future happiness, vision, values, mission, purpose, goals, what would I need to be putting in a pot every day? As in, I'm putting ingredients into a pot that I know will guarantee the best outcome, right? If you put the same ingredients into a pot every day, you can pretty much guarantee the outcome, like a chocolate cake. But if you forget one ingredient, it messes up the entire result. So what 10 things, and I always say 10 because on both hands and also the 10 commandments, people can relate what 10 things do you know that if you did these 10 things every day, you can be happy right now, even, excuse me, even before you leave the threshold of your front door. Don't wait to put in at the end of the day because we all know it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're too busy. Life gets in the way. Business gets in the way. Clients get in the way. Whatever. Lack of clients gets in the way. So what 10 things could you do every day? And here's five that I start with every single morning. I call it my five to thrive. One, oxygenation. Just because we are sleeping, it doesn't mean that we're taking full empowered breaths. Because sometimes we think too much. So we breathe like this. Yeah, my We should breathing. be breathing. So I take at least two to five minutes every morning to inspire. Then I do hydration. And I drink probably around 500 mils of water, half a liter, about two to three glasses of water because our bodies are extremely dehydrated. And you can't be in a good mental and physical and emotional state when your body is dehydrated. It's impossible because your body needs water. Like 80% or 70% of your body is made of water. So starting your day with not drinking water, you're compromising on your ability to be the best version of yourself. It's so crazy simple, yet people don't do it. It makes me crazy. If I'm with people and I see they're not drinking water, I'm forcing it down their throat. Like, drink this. It's going to help you. Like, why do I need to tell you this all the time? Just drink water. So that's it. Oxygenation, hydration. Number three, I do meditation or energization, which is movement. So either sit down and meditate or I do what I call energization, which is do anything that's going to put energy into my body. For me specifically, I do a thing called the five Tibetan rites. It's a yoga practice over two and a half thousand years old, taken from Tibet. 
And it's five yoga moves that you do every day. It's called the elixir of life. It's called the fountain of youth. And it gives you energy. It opens your joints. It pumps blood around your body. It puts oxygen in your brain. It's fantastic. So that's number three. The number four is either meditation or energization. What I mean is I live my life by intuition. So I do my breath work. I do my hydration. And then I feel... What do I want to do next? Do I want to sit in silence or do I want to move first? And then if I sit in silence first in meditation, I do my exercise after. Or if I feel like, you know what, I'm feeling a bit groggy this morning. I do the exercise and then I sit in an empowered posture with the blood and the oxygen flowing around my body. And I just sit and just breathe. And then only when I'm in the oxygenated, hydrated meditated, energized state, do I then write my goals for the day? Because I know energy goes where attention flows or attention goes where energy flows. I never get that saying right. <laughs> but I want to be, if I'm going to choose to set my intentions for the day or goals, whatever, I want to make sure that I'm in the best thinking that I can be because shitty states create shitty goals and it goes back to the environment before change your environment change the way you think so i'm creating an internal environment that's empowered every morning anyway and then the, that's the last one is i call it journalization just to sound cool right so we got oxygenation hydration meditation energization journalization there's five things you do those five things every day and you will be happier because happiness is not a destination. It's a feeling. It's an experience. And no one will ever convince me that doing those five things will not make you feel better. Yeah. So a bit of a long-winded answer, but I hope, that's, uh, I hope that's helpful to your audience. In short, happiness is two things. Future happiness, present happiness. Future is vision, values, mission, goals, purpose. Present is practices happiness practices if you want to know more about happiness practices i mean you can come to me just go hang out with a monk for a day and you'll see every single day they don't press snooze they get up as soon as the bell goes or their alarm clock goes depending on the monastery right because i've had heard i've had alarm clocks and bells yeah. ringing they get up at a non-negotiable time why because it instills discipline and confidence in you. They go straight away and they drink water. They do not eat. They then meditate non-negotiably. Then some places they do fitness, some they do eating first or vice versa. And then they'll do some kind of practice after that. But happiness is created by discipline, not the other way around. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean... If you're listening to this and you don't take something away from that, then you weren't listening properly. So, <laughs> and let me just let me just add to that, Joel. I've been doing this for 16 years. I, I've I've read hundreds of books, listened to books, work with the best of the best coaches, speakers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. You've really got to think. If I've distilled it down to five things over 16 years of my own experiences you've really got to think there's got to be power in that and once again it's not about me i don't you know i don't give a shit what people think about me i know this stuff works i just wish more people would bloody do it rather than go grab a coffee 
and then feel more dehydrated or get to work five minutes late or press the snooze button three times, building a new program, writing a new software that says, I would rather be asleep than awake. What kind of an attitude is that to bring to your life and business? I mean, that is a shitty attitude. Hmm. And attitude is everything. All businesses is about energy. All businesses are about energy. And if you look at a triangle, the bottom line, the bottom of the triangle is the bottom line, the cash flow of the business. And the bigger the organization, the higher the triangle goes, and energy always trickles from the top down. Therefore, if you are in any kind of leadership position, even if you have one employee, it is your responsibility to manage and optimize your energy for the people that need it from you. And that even means, just thinking about it now, you being a leader in your business. Sorry, you being a leader in your family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, don't, don't, so, so don't ever expect your employees to perform better than you. I mean, yeah. that's just that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like if you want them to live and work from an inspirational, inspired place – be inspiring. So look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself. I ask myself this question at least once a year. Where am I not inspiring? Where am I out of integrity? Yeah. And then I go to work on that and I get support if I need. And I've done that my entire life. I'm not afraid to share where I've got disappointments or frustrations or where I'm letting myself down because that, that's what makes us human. Mm-hmm. Huge. So I feel like we've barely scratched the surface, but uh, you've been so, so generous with your expertise. I've got two more questions. Question one, what's the, the best mistake you've ever made? <laughs> wow. It's interesting, interestingly worded. The best mistake I ever made was, and I might change my mind later, but what's come up in my mind now is deciding to be a dj okay because like i mentioned before i found a strategy for feeling good when i was young and that led me to sport so that gave me all the uppers yeah right the good feelings the natural flow and all that and the empowered feelings that sport gave me but then when i was 18 years old my cousin invited me to a nightclub for the first time. And uh, the, the, let me just say, the club's name was Adrenaline. So just imagine what kind of stuff went on in a club called Adrenaline. <laughs> and I found another way to feel good. And it came with pills, a lot of attention from girls, etc. But what happened was I then realized I can't seek out to be a pro cyclist. I've been cycling from 13 to 19, 18, 19. I was like, I can't be a pro cyclist, but I'm loving this new life. And I'm out partying every weekend and I'm not in school anymore being bullied. People are loving on me and I'm making new friends. So what I did was I said, you know what? I'm going to be a DJ. I'm going to get to London. I'm going to get in the bar scene. I became a bartender, da, 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 then started DJing on Tuesdays to myself, Wednesdays to smoke crowd. Anyway, it's because I decided to be a DJ that I realized at 23 that I'd hit rock bottom and that I realized that I did it on my own. It was no one's fault and that I did it decision by decision, day by day. And if I could do that and go down the wrong path, I could figure out how to get 
on the right path. Yeah. And that's been, like I mentioned before, that's been my life's obsession. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about next year. Don't worry about what you did yesterday. Man, all it takes is one decision to change your life. And I don't mean changes in, oh, my life's changed because I'm now meditating. Your life will be different as a result of what you do next. Your life will, I'll actually say it in a different way. Whatever you do now, whatever you decide to do now is always going to determine what happens after that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such an empowering thing to remember as a human being, having consciousness every day to know that, you know, I just commented on one of Ed Milet's posts, Ed Milet, the podcast, etc. And he posted something about tomorrow or progress. And I said, I always look forward to tomorrow. I look forward to tomorrow because I know it's an opportunity for me to be even better than I was today, regardless of whether today was a shitty day or an amazing day. I look forward to tomorrow because I know I can go again. I can go again. I can go again. And all of us get to do that 365 days a year. So my worst decision that I ever made, what the worst, the best mistake that I ever made was uh, thinking that I wanted to be a DJ. It was a fantasy goal. We have real goals, fantasy goals, and ego goals. And that was a fantasy goal. It was probably a little bit of an ego goal too, but it wasn't a real goal. Got you. But it put me on this path. Yeah, no, I completely appreciate that. And I think um, we've all chased ego and fantasy goals ahead of real goals and had to backtrack Mm. one way or another. And and a lot of people do that daily. a simple example being the car that you mentioned before that one of your clients thought he wanted and then when he got it the following day it was just a car until he could be present and enjoy it and understand what it represented um you know what actually joel is very quickly once he realized once he spent some time in the car and he just enjoyed having it he realized then it wasn't that important. I caught up with him recently. I said, where's your car? He said, I sold it. <laughs> <laughs> that tells you everything. Just drives a normal Range Rover now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's so interesting when, uh, when you meet people like that and they, they shift from materialistic goals, which, which potentially are ego goals, to experiential goals, which kind of give them more fulfillment in life and, and and then they're like, oh, I'm all about experience now because experience is what gets my blood pumping. And uh, it always blows my mind when you when you meet a business owner who kind of materially had it all and they give it all away because it didn't fulfill them at all. If people want a great book to read, I mean, I talk about this a lot, living in your values and your truth and all that. But if people want a really good book to read, that speaks to what you've just mentioned. And mm-hmm. I love what you said, experiential goals, not destination goals, is by Robin Sharma called The Monk That Sold His Ferrari. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It is brilliant. And it's this guy that chases money, success, da, da, da. anyway, realizes that just none of that stuff matters. And it's not that you're saying, oh, I want to be spiritually poor mm. and that that's more important. It's coming from a place of, I want everything, but I need nothing. Yeah. I intend the very best, but I have zero expectations. And that's just a very different place to live from. Very different place. And, you know, a lot of my clients, 
they, you know, I'll give you another example of another client, right? Mid thirties, overworked, successful business, overweight. Everything was about business, but he was miserable and overweight. And, you know, I'm very honest with my clients. The first time I ever met him, he wasn't even a client of mine. I said, look, you've clearly done very well in life after he told me a story and everything. But I said, no one should be as overweight as you. He said, I hated you when you said that. But that when I calmed down, I realized that, man, the fact that you said that is exactly the reason why I know I needed to work with you because no one talks to me like that. <laughs> they yeah. just praise me for being so hardworking. And now, you know what matters to him? Yes, he still has a successful business, even more successful. But he never talks to me about his business goals. He talks to me about the fact that for his birthday, he just got a surfboard and he cannot wait to go surfing because he's now in experiential goals, like you said. That's awesome. You know, he tells me, I'm no longer on my phone on the weekends because I'm totally present with my kids and my wife. And I mean, is there really anything better than that? Doing what you love. There's nothing better than doing what you love. And remember, we didn't even get to the story. When I was 37 years old to the people listening, I almost died. I was a millimeter away from losing my entire life. I have zero memory of the accident. I was hit by a hit and run driver on my bicycle. I almost died at 37. And that worked me up to a lot, not just for how I want to live my own life, but in what I want to share in the messages that I choose to share. You are not going to be here forever. Not only that, but in my case, when I was 37, it could have potentially been over my entire life without me even knowing that it came to an end because I have no memory. So the life of Jean-Pierre de Villiers, JP, would have just been up to 37 years old, he's cycling across Devon in the UK. And like that, it doesn't exist anymore. I tell you what, man, that put a fire under my ass to go, man, if that's going to happen again, I'm not going to settle in any area of my life. That's awesome. And, and to be fair, I've been in masterminds with you in the room with you and seen you walk in and say things like <laughs> you're you're too overweight so i've witnessed it it's true so um and and i think my last my last memory of of, of you was uh not taking any shit off an insurance company because you, you couldn't get your car insured and uh <laughs> and, and it was it was exactly the same that's the way you, you you you're perfectly polite and pleasant to the person on the end of the phone but i i sort of sat there and thought I bet they don't get many phone calls like this. <laughs> yeah. So you know what I did? Yeah. I just think that I'm, I'm not going to use my own words very quickly. I'm just going to quote uh, one of my many, many teachers in my life. And if you don't follow him, I'd highly recommend it. It's all around living a life in your values. Dr. John D. Martini. Mm-hmm. And he says one of his amazing quotes, an extremely intelligent man. I think he has like 51 PhDs. I still don't know whether that's true, but Why? that's the story. 51 PhDs. I mean, this guy's constantly studying. He doesn't do anything else other than speak and study every single day of his life for like 40 years, whatever. And he says, when the voice and the vision on the inside, I'm putting in brackets, your values and what is true to you, when the voice and the vision on the inside become more loud and profound than the noise on the outside, then you have mastered your life. And it's just about knowing who you are and living accordingly and not worrying what people think about you. And it's not an on-off switch. Yeah. It's life's work. It takes life's work. In my late 20s, when I started speaking, I was already saying to people, I don't care what people think of me. But now in hindsight, I can tell you, I still did. Mm -hmm. 
but I was, I was doing it to the best of my ability. And then every year, every few years, I free myself a little bit more. I free myself a little bit more. Man, I think I was a tribal warrior in another life because all of my life, I've been obsessed with piercings and tattoos. I pierced my ears when I was 15 years old. I found that I had a tattoo myself when I was 13. I never showed it to anyone. No one knew until I was 18 years old. I used to have little see-through string things in my ears. I did it. I just enjoyed it. But then when I got into coaching and uh, and corporate coaching, I wore suits and I had tattoos. But every time I would walk into a boardroom, I would always pull my cuff down in case they saw my tattoos because I had this fear that they wouldn't want to work with me. And what's interesting now is the more I show myself for who I really am and the more I bear my true self to the world, the more amazing clients I attract. Yeah. And, and I guess you attract yeah. the ones that um, are right for you as well. 100%. One of my teachers uh, the, from the movie The Secret, I've done a lot of coaching with her one-to-one. I've uh, worked with her in uh, retreats and stuff in the US. Is a lady named Lisa Nichols. Mm-hmm. And I like to, you know, she's a friend of mine and just an amazing, amazing, amazing lady. And she said this once to me when I was about 36 years old, and I've never forgotten it. She said, your people will always be your people. And if they choose not to walk with you anymore, it's simply because they're not your people. And that just gave me so much permission to say, hey, if they're here, they're, if they're here, they're meant to be here. And if they're not here, they're not meant to be here. Mm. Just keep doing you. But if you try and keep people around you, your clients and stuff, slowly, 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 you lose a, lose a little bit more of yourself and a little bit more of yourself, and then you get to what I said in the beginning of the conversation. You go, you know what? I'm not even enjoying this anymore. Yeah, you wake up with a life full of compromise. Yeah. Just finish on that. Uh, I wake yeah. up with a life full of compromise. Yeah, let, let's leave it there, because uh, I, uh, I can't ask the last question. It's not, it's not good enough. <laughs> so... No, you had one more. Yeah. Was so, that only the answer to your first so the last, question? The last, the last question is so light now after that. But what's your favorite film and why? A Pursuit of Happiness. That, brilliant. Pursuit, <laughs> Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. Yeah. Because like I shared with you before, based on 40 years of living, 16 years of coaching, 10 years of speaking, hundreds of books, work with the best coaches, blah, 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 I know the only thing that matters is spending time with monks, monasteries. I have to do Zoom sessions with a monk. That's a friend of mine that I make donations to his monastery. The only thing that matters is being happy. And happiness is not fluffy. Sometimes pursuing your happiness means pushing yourself to the edge of yourself, doing whatever it takes when everything keeps going wrong and never, ever ever giving up because if you give up on what you know is true to you and what you deserve and what you can have you will always live to use your words a compromised life and there is nothing inspiring on our deathbed that or there's nothing inspiring about being on our deathbed knowing that we were less than who we could have been nothing jp thank you so much You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thoroughly enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Stay Hungry podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share, leave us a review. I'll love you forever. Visit 
andyandjoel.com if you want to know more about our coaching we'd love to hear from you take care everyone <laughs>